So the only mention of Salem is the, uh, of, of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, is verses um, 18, 19, 20. Three verses in the Bible that set the scene for Jesus being a great high priest in the order of Melchior, no, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And, um, it's a fascinating little snippet of history which we, um, I guess for me, you know, shows just how organised God was, how he had in mind that Jesus would be coming eventually, um, especially when we had in Psalm 110, which we'll get to, which is the other mention of Melchizedek. So, notice that, um, yes, the king of Salem brought out bread and wine, and I'm often struck, kind of puzzled on this, that actually, after Jesus is, okay, at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus did take new means of bread and wine, but after the Last Supper, when he was resurrected, he, he ate bread and fish more often, and yet we don't think fish doesn't feature in the kind of, the, the, yes, in Christian communion in, in, in the Eucharist, um, partly because Jesus used bread and wine, but I think part of that is an echo of what happened here, that he used bread and wine. I wonder. Um, that's a wonder for me, sorry. Um, In this Genesis passage, we learn that he was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, and Abraham then gave him a tenth of everything. So, it's clear that Abraham very much respected Melchizedek, and he gave the tenth, the tithe, to Melchizedek. So, in terms of importance, as it were, Melchizedek came above Abraham. Abraham gave, yes, the tithe, he gave honour and, and respect to Melchizedek, not the other way around. Um, and he was both king and priest, king of Salem and priest of God most high. He chose to bless Abraham and Abraham gave him a tenth. And that's it, that's all we get. Now, you'll see in a minute with, with, with Hebrews 7 that one of the points is made is a, basically an argument from silence. We know nothing of Melchizedek's mum and dad. Well, you don't know much about mums anyway, much in terms of genealogies, but nothing of his dad, nothing of his birth, nothing of, of nothing. And so it's as if, um, yes, it's, uh, Hebrews 7 we see, you know, the talk is of without father and mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, and thus resembling the Son of God. So we think of Jesus as being co-eternal with the Father. So no beginning, no end. And um, no sense of having parentage. Um, mm, yes. Let's just not push on that too much. Um, but that, that sense of, of, of Melchizedek in a similar way to Jesus being one that we who, who doesn't have, in, in spiritual terms, a beginning of days. Now, yes, we can trace Jesus in terms of Jesus' incarnation and um, 
So Hebrews 7, we've had a couple of kind of precursors to this. Um, chapter 6, verse 20, um, Peter took us to the end of last week. He has become, that is Jesus, a priest, a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we had a little snippet of this back in chapter 5. Um, we got quotes from Psalm 110 again there. And then it ends with, uh, it ends though, sorry, not ends, ends the passage, the, the, the section ends of it. Verse 10, Jesus was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But as we talked about before, the uh, writer to the Hebrews, uh, she took, shouldn't be, who knows, sorry, wandering question in my head, um, then took a sort of side um, conversation to help them, to encourage them to, 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 um, yes, to distinguish between good and evil. Uh, and then we're back again two weeks on, three weeks on, to where we were at the end of chapter, and halfway through chapter five, to say, well, what is really meant by Melchizedek? So, um, verses one, two, three, uh, give you, I think, five statements that link Jesus with Melchizedek. So this Melchizedek, he says, was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The second thing he says is Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And then there's some explanation. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, but then also king of Salem means king of peace. So you've got the explanation of the name king of righteousness, king of peace, that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. He's high priest, and also he's one who brings righteousness and peace. And we can, um, <coughs> excuse me, I think we can relate to that in terms of what Jesus did, does, for us, with us. The fifth thing then, uh, that Melchizedek talks about, uh, the, not Melchizedek, <laughs> the writer to the Hebrews talks about, uh, verse 3, um, that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or end of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. And there's no record of his death, effectively, is what we get in all of his birth. Does his death for Melchizedek. And there is something, I think, quite particular about people who don't are not recorded to die. Um, I'm always quite fascinated by the transfiguration and when you start to think about it, the two most likely people to turn up did turn up. There was Elijah, who of course was transported to heaven, and then you get Moses, 
flies I need on my nose. I'm, I'm ritually unclean now. I need to just go off and sort myself out before I can keep on doing your sacrifice. Or perhaps I'll just get a friend to come, a, a, a priest colleague to come and do your sacrifice for you. So the priests themselves were not, were not always in the right place. You know, either because of the, the ritual cleanness or not. But, but equally, you know, you look at something like um, that story of um, Eli and his sons, who were priests, you know, in the way they brought a three-pronged fork and just like, jabbed it in the, the boiling meats and went, well, we'll have that lot, thanks. Um, which was kind of not really the intention um, of how things should have been. So, you know, the, the priests themselves were, were, were beyond corruption, just as um, all humans, all humans are fallible and uh, have that potential. So, it's a system that didn't work ever so well. Let's just kind of remember that, because it didn't do anything about the future, and it was always a temporary, almost a case-by-case basis of offering atonement for sin. It didn't cope with sort of systemic failure. So what I mean by that is, is, you know, you might atone for an outburst of rude language to somebody, but how could you somehow atone for an attitude of the heart that got you to that position in any case. So it was event-based rather than system-based. Um, let's go back to the text, I'm sorry. Uh, verses 4 to 10. Let me read it for you. Just think how great he was. That this is Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. So from their fellow Israelites, even though they also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, that is Melchizedek didn't. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater, which we pointed out earlier. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we live in a very individualistic kind of age, don't we? And we say, you know, if 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 you as an individual make problems, uh, actually the law deals with you as an individual, and they don't go and deal with your parents because of the way you brought they they brought you up. Whereas there's something in this about Levi was an a descendant of Abraham, and so when Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek, somehow Levi, Abraham was offering the tithe on behalf of Levi. It's a bit like the argument about Adam and Eve, and sin entered the world because of the actions of one man. Interesting, hang on one more minute. 
um, it actually was worth, you know, the, the, the references are to the responsibility of Adam when he gets to sin, you know, in the same way the sin lives through the world, so, so Jesus um, atones for the sins of the whole world. Somehow we are all in Jesus, in that sense. So, um, so the, the, the point of these few verses then, I think, is to say, is to make the, the, the hierarchy clear. Melchizedek, Abraham, and, and, and be, because of Abraham's linkage to Levi, therefore effectively Levi paid, you can argue, paid the tithe to Melchizedek, where actually the people pay the tithe to Levi. Yes? Makes sense? Dum, 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 dum. Melchizedek, Abraham, Levi, people. So, verse 11 could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood why was there still need for another priest to come what in the order of Melchizedek not in the order of Aaron so this is a bit like you know sometimes I say to you you know oh I hear you say blah 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 is assuming that there will be a question on the lips of his hearers. Oh, why on earth did we need a new priest, given we've got a priesthood? And so then he goes to answer his own question, which is quite helpful for the rest of us. And I think there's a few points. One is that a new priesthood brings a new a change in the law. Verse 12. Verse 13 recognises that Jesus came from a different tribe and therefore he couldn't possibly be a Levitical order priest because he was from the tribe of Judah. Hence verse 13, verse 14. And so for the writer to the Hebrews, for, for, their, for their thinking, actually... It becomes, uh, what does it say? If what we have said is even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, for one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So, what we're claiming here is not an ancestry thing, but a type. Which is higher up. 
nice church is there and have a communion table at the top end. And, and in, in, in days of yore, as it were, the communion table was stuck to the wall, and so the priest would preside at communion like this with his back to the people. And if it was really radical, he'd stand at the end so that people could sort of see what was happening. But most old churches, if you go and look at them, you can't get behind the communion table to look out. And then you recognise that actually most older churches at least have a roof screen. A thing to separate the people from the priest. Well, and the choir. Because they need separating. And the choir is usually a bit naughty, but anyway. Um, but, but let's, let's not go down that route. Um, but, the, but the priest from the people. And actually... What effectively you get is an imagery of the priest interceding on behalf of the people and being God, priest, people. And that somehow, to my mind, is about trying to reconnect with the Levitical priesthood. But frankly, we don't need to do why I go through phases when I struggle with even wearing the dog collar because actually we are all have the same spirit within us, the same access to God Almighty. We all have the same connection therefore with God. The only difference is that perhaps I get set aside to spend full time thinking about and trying to work in developing the church and the community and the kingdom of God on this bit of earth. But even then that doesn't work for all um, settings of people that are priesthood. Um, but that's, you know, if you want a, a baseline thinking, you know, for me, I want to recognise that Jesus is our priest who intercedes for us, who sits at the right hand of the Most High, and therefore for anything that sort of interposes between Jesus and everybody else, that doesn't work for me. And, and so that's why I, I um, when I went to India, I was really quite challenged because lots of people would say, oh, you know, I want, I want special prayers from the pastor. You know, and it was, it was quite um, ego-stroking. Because, you know, because you, cause you can't, you, you must have you know, a really good connection with God. And so, so will you pray for me? And I, I spent most of those two weeks saying, hang on a minute, we've all got the same access. We can all pray, we can all ask God. Um, and, and, and lots of the pastors were in this regard. Um, anyway, that's, that's fine. Um, let's, let's keep going. Um, where were we? We're, we're part of through verse uh, 16, 15, 17, 18, where um, Let's go and look at um, Psalm 110, because, um, again, it gets quoted, so let's read the whole psalm, because it's not very long. And I'll help us to regroup. Psalm 110, which is the seven verses. It's a psalm of David, and... Um, it's actually a psalm that, interestingly, Jesus is 
referenced as quoting certainly the first verses uh, in Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 20, and Acts chapter 2. And 1 Corinthians 15, you get the mention. Lots of things, anyway. So the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. And yes, there is a footnote that says the meaning of the Hebrew of this sentence is uncertain. So don't panic if you're thinking, what is dew from the morning's womb? That sounds a bit... Don't even want to picture it. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's the quote that we get in Hebrews. Keep going. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead, and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. So there is a there is an there's an imagery here that I think we can apply to Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And remember way back in chapter one we talked about Jesus having completed his work, sat down at the right hand. I think there's an echo that that echoes this stuff about sit at my right hand. Chapter one, verse one there. And sitting down is about the completion of work. The work is done. The sacrifice, the sacrifice, sacrifice is complete. And so this is a psalm that, you know, where David, the greatest king of all Israel, looks to some yet to appear Lord. The Lord says to my Lord, to the so the Lord. God Almighty, that is, says to my Lord, as in somebody greater than David, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And apart from Jesus, there was nobody greater than David. Um, and so the Lord has sworn, well, change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Um, that gets um, echoed back here then in Hebrews 7. So the former regulation that says in verse 18 is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So, I think the point in terms of the answer to the question, why did there need to be another priest? It was because that priestly system, the Levitical priestly system, wasn't working. That's the kind of short answer. It didn't do the permanency of um, of atonement for sin that was needed. It didn't bring about change in the people because they kept on going off and sinning again. Whereas actually, we get talk about God. Um, you know, writing his law in our hearts. So God helps us to change. 
which we, which you know, the old, the, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the Levitical system, was not helping people to change. It was just helping people to say sorry without that sense of repentance, of a change of action. Yes. 
governmental they're not giving back to government they're home torn it's just it's, it's, a, it's very strong language um, and we've talked about all sorts of aspects of this better government that's possible because we think of Jesus as a in the order of this type of Melchizedek, or indeed was Melchizedek of the type of Jesus, who knows. Um, and as you see, the writer, the back end of here, chapter 7, um, contrasts that with the priest that died, the priest that needs to um, but then with Jesus, who is this forever permanent priesthood able to save completely or forever those who come to God. Jesus is able to save completely and forever those who come to God. That's just, you know, you just think, wow, this is lovely. Um, so, such a high priest then truly meets our need. Verse 26. He's holy, blameless, pure, set apart, exalted above the heavens. And then, yes, unlike the other high priests who need to offer their own and you know, their own sacrifices. Um, and yet, yeah, Jesus, verse 27, back in the second half, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself, Code offered himself in dying on the cross. Um, and the Son has been made perfect forever. So, I'm really conscious that for most of us, it's not a current day issue as to whether or not we run with a Levitical priesthood or a Melchizedekian priesthood. Um, but, if, you, if we take out the priesthood bit and go actually calling, just as it was in this, is to recognise Jesus for who he is and what he does and to live our lives in response to that. And then let's not get ourselves distracted by other things, by putting our hope in other, in, in more earthly relationships, more earthly money, more earthly whatever it is. But actually, let's stay focused on Jesus and living in response to this amazing offer of life that I am with God to start today. And Jesus is the guarantor of that. Now, let's take a moment to pray and then we'll come back to go. Father, thank you for Jesus. Give us grace to live our lives in response to this better covenant that you offer us. In response to that reality that you're willing to adopt us into your family. And that you give us good news to proclaim. To guide us, be with us, bless us, challenge us, we pray. Amen.